Welcome to Good Girls Talk About Sex. I'm sex educator and sexual communication coach, Leah Carey, and this is a place to share conversations with all sorts of women about their experience of sexuality. These are unfiltered conversations between adult women talking about sex. If anything about the previous sentence offends you, turn back now. And if you're looking for a trigger warning, you're not going to get it from me. I believe that you are stronger than the trauma you have experienced. I have faith in your ability to deal with things that upset you. Sound good? Let's start the show. Today, we'll meet Mel, a 55-year-old cisgender female who describes herself as white, bisexual, polyamorous, and postmenopausal. She grew up in the United States and France, currently lives with her triad, and has one teenage son. Mel and I became good friends while she was developing her one-woman musical, Sexology, the Musical. It chronicles her journey from monogamy to polyamory through stories and songs, and she's been touring it to fringe festivals around the country for the last year. To find out if she's bringing the show to your city, visit MelanieMosley.com, and that link will be in the show notes. One of the things that I love about Mel is how honest she is with herself and about herself. She's not afraid to own up to the fact that she cheated on every monogamous partner she's ever had, which is what ultimately led her to the discovery that polyamory is a better life choice for her. So come for the polyamory, but stay for her story of declaring her everlasting love to a man in song on their first date. I'm so pleased to introduce Mel. I am super excited to have you here. Um, we know each other through Sex Positive Portland, which is uh, the local group that has done so much for me in terms of owning my sexuality and, and learning about sexuality in general. And you are one of the dear friends that I have gained through this group. So I'm thrilled to be talking to you today. I'm thrilled to be talking to you too. It's great. <laughs> and SPP has done a lot of that for me as well. So yeah. So, well, let's start at the beginning where we start with every interview. What is your first memory of sexual pleasure? Oh, Lord. Um, I was probably seven. Um, and I realized that if I rubbed up against my pillow, that I would like get this really warm, nice feeling. And my mom used to um, put us down for naps, me and my brother down for naps, even at seven, because she just needed a break, right? <laughs> so she would put us in our bedrooms, you know, for an hour or something. And that's what I would spend my hour doing is just like rubbing this pillow on me and just going, wow, that's a really good feeling. I don't know that I knew what it was that I was doing until much later, but. Did you come to something that you would now recognize as an orgasm or was Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, yes, definitely. Yeah. 
That reminds me of, I mean, I hear a lot of people say this, that they, they, they learned to rub up against something, but the way you just described it reminds me of the show Big Mouth, um, <laughs> with, <laughs> with the glowworm. <laughs> I think her, her name is Missy, I think. Uh, yeah, For, that's hysterical. I didn't even think of that. That's I love yeah. that show mm-hmm. so much. <laughs> Yep. (laughs) So, so you discovered masturbation relatively early. At what point did you connect that up to the idea of doing something with another person? Um, right around the same time, I was, um, there was this neighborhood boy. I don't remember his name anymore, but he was in my class and he was my age, obviously, and he had an older sister. And she at one point took us out to their backyard and had a wedding for us. We were going to get married. And then we got married and then we were supposed to lie down next to each other and rub up against each other. And I mean, we did that clothes on and all, you know, this is innocent kid fun, I guess. But um, so we're just rubbing up and I had that same sensation again. And I was like, huh, that's odd. So did you pursue that sensation with other people? Not really, not um, when I was young like that. Um, I mean, I certainly had, I, 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 I assume that everybody has this, but probably they don't, I don't know. I, you know, girlfriends and I would sometimes play with each other like that. Um, but never, I mean, it was just this one time with that one boy. And then later, you know, as I got into my tweens, which we did not call it at the time, but yeah. <laughs> now we do. Um, I would play with girlfriends like that. Like we would rub up, rub up against pillows together or rub up next to each other or that kind of thing. And was that um, like, what was sort of the self-talk that went along with that? Like, was it just fun? Was it something like, how did you explain to yourself what you were doing when you were doing that with your girlfriends? Um, it was fun, but there was also a little guilt or weirdness. Like there was some shame around it. Like it, and I don't know why. I don't feel like. Well, actually, that's not true. Um, I, I have a memory of my mom walking in on me at one point when I was masturbating in my bedroom during a nap, and her telling me, um, "That is not okay. You should not be doing that." Oh, okay. So it was clearly something that it needed to be hidden, but something that was really enjoyable. And so with my girlfriends, you know, it was, it was enjoyable. And also there was some shame around it and we never talked about it. I mean, it wasn't like we had a conversation about, well, what is this that we are doing or why are we doing this? It just felt good. And so we did it. Yeah. And then we just walked away from it and went and, you know, created a play or whatever we would do. (laughs) Go climb a tree. (laughs) (laughs) So when your mom walked in on you and said that this is something we don't do, did it give you pause at all? Did you slow down or stop in in response to that? I didn't slow down or stop. I just felt bad about it. (laughs) I was fine about it before. And then after that, (laughs) I was like, crap, well, I guess it's a bad thing, but I sure do enjoy it. (laughs) (laughs) And did that put an idea into your head that you were a bad girl for enjoying it? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned before we started taping that you um, spent time uh, in the Baptist church Mm -hmm. as a child. Uh, What kind of messages were you hearing within the church about sex and female sexuality, if any? 
I don't know that I really got a whole lot of messages about sexuality from the Baptist church other than, you know, that you get married and you have kids and, you know, like that kind of monogamous message. Um, but sex wasn't really a thing that came into it. And not to say that my parents were not open about sex. You know, they were. I mean, they, we knew where babies came from. Nobody told us, you know, that a stork delivers them in a cabbage patch. But still, it was like just this kind of distant thing. So I don't, I don't have any religious doctrine that I remember around sexuality specifically. Mm -hmm. So um, you mentioned that as you got into your tween years, you started playing around with other little girls. Um, at what point did that progress? But that sounds like it was primarily a friendship thing. At what yeah. point did it progress to a more romantic slash sexual thing? you? Well, the first time that I had literal PIV, penis in vagina sex was um, uh, at 14. So that was really when it escalated to something like that. That's Mm -hmm. when I had a boyfriend, we had a relationship, we, you know, had sex, I loved it. It was awesome. I did not have that, you know, first time horrible, bleeding, uh, whatever, traumatic, that just didn't happen to me. It was just instantly this is awesome. I want to keep doing this. <laughs> what about, so as someone who had a good experience and it's, I know it's hard to put yourself in the shoes of an experience you didn't have, but so many of us did have really difficult, painful experiences. Do you have any idea what it was that allowed you to have a good experience? Um, I, I would think that probably some of it is um, the the guy that I was with was just such a sweetheart. I mean, we were really good friends. He was super careful and gentle and worried about me. And, you know, it was – and I didn't even know I needed to be worried about me. Like, I didn't even have the predisposition that this might be a hard, bad thing, which I think sometimes you hear that story and then you're like, shit, I'm going to have a hard, bad thing when I have sex for the first time. But I never heard that story. So it was just like, all right, well. And so, yeah, I had no expectation of things being bad. I was with someone that I loved and trusted. It was really easy. That's really interesting, this idea that having heard the story that it will be hard, we then potentially... I mean, create that experience for ourselves. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that, but I don't either. Yeah. I mean, it's hard for me in my own story, because I waited until I was 25. And I was with an asshole. (laughs) And I had all (laughs) All sorts of of trauma things that I did. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, I don't know that that was the the thing that made it hard and bad. But I, I can definitely see that partially the reason that I waited one of the many reasons that I waited so long was that I had heard this story that it was going to be hard and painful. And I wanted to wait until I was with somebody who I really trusted and felt safe with. And then at 25, I was finally like, I just don't want to be the oldest living virgin anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (laughs) So how long were you with that boyfriend? Um, well, it was a summer. It was one of those little summer flings at summer theater camp. 
<laughs> um, so we were together over the summer and then into the fall. And then pretty much after that, he, well, he went, to, I was 14. He was older. So he was starting college. I was 14 years old. So he went off to college and I went back to school. And then he obviously is in college. And so he finds another girlfriend in college and moves on from this 14 year old girl who lives in Chicago while he's off in Oregon, you know, so <laughs> that was it. But we are still friends. Like I still oh, wow. today at 55 know him, see him frequently. We, yeah, I mean. That's lovely. Have you ever slept with him again? No, no, not since then. <laughs> So what happened next? You have your summer fling at 14. What happens next? So then I'm back in high school. I'm in Chicago. And um, my I uh, this is when I have my first lesbian encounter with um, an older woman, oddly enough. Um, I don't know what that's about. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so and that was really confusing and odd for me. Like this was a friend of a friend. And we had ended up making out at some party at some point. And then she asked me to her apartment. She was like super rich. Like her family was really rich and she had her own apartment in Chicago. So she was like, do you want to just come stay overnight at my apartment? And I did that. Uh And um, I really had no flipping idea what I was doing. I had no idea what a vagina looked like. (laughs) I had never seen one of those before. Had you been? Go ahead. No, despite the fact that I own one, I had not. It's hard to see. Yeah, that's amen to that. Um, <laughs> had you been interested in women prior to meeting this woman? Yeah, I mean, well, I had my my thing with girls when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of girls have that who end up being heterosexual. No, so that's I don't very necessarily true. think that that's an indicator. I guess that's probably true. But yeah, I mean, I definitely did. I, and, and like, I, I don't know, kissing women. Uh, I mean, women are just the best kissers. And kissing is like my favorite thing. So yeah, I did. I don't think that I have, and I, I don't even, it's not that I don't think, I know that I don't have that kind of romantic feeling around connections with women. It's more like, like I do with men. It is more like a really, like, for example, with my partner, Charity, it is um, a really close, loving friendship. She's the closest person in my life. And it's not a really a romantic thing, but it's also a sexual thing. Hmm. So um, I really enjoy sex with her. And now, I mean, I'm 55 now. I'm not 15 anymore, so I've learned a lot. But <laughs> but that particular one, yeah, it was the very first time that it was just like, and it was awkward and unlike, you know, what happened with my first uh, boyfriend. It was just like, I don't even know what I'm doing here. And I don't know what to do with that that I'm looking at. (laughs) That was weird. I needed a lot of instruction. (laughs) Did you enjoy it? I, I enjoyed the attention that she gave to me. I could not figure out how to give her the attention that she needed. And so that was frustrating. Mm hmm frustrating so that you wanted to just put it down and walk away or frustrating, intriguing that you wanted to go learn a lot more? Um, frustrating that in that particular situation, I just wanted to leave. Mm-hmm. And it was really just a one night stand. That was one and done uh-huh. with her. And following that, I did not have any relationships with women until I was in my mid forties. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So what happened ne- 
one night stand with the woman and moving on from her, what happened next? Um, so I was 15. Then. So moving on from her, I mean, I was, I was, I was never in high school or college without a boyfriend huh. ever. I was that girl. I constantly, I mean, maybe I was for a few months, but very rarely. Um, what do you think that was about? Oh, well, I think it's about, so my parents got divorced. I, uh, my parents got divorced when I was 14. And um, that meant that I moved to Chicago with my mom and my dad and my brother moved to Eugene. So my family was just split. And my mom was in this very like, um, we, we were living with her boyfriend in Chicago and she was in a very new energy, rela- new relationship energy thing going on with her. And so she just did not want to be a parent anymore. And I just wanted connection. And I really enjoyed sex. Mm. And so if I had a boyfriend, then I would have connection and I would get sex. And so, gotcha. yeah. So what were you doing during this time in terms of um, safer sex, in terms of protection? Like, were you concerned about getting pregnant? We're talking pre, uh, there's, that's true right there. So we are talking pre-82. So we're talking pre-AIDS crisis. HIV. Um, I was worried about uh, pregnancy, but that was it. Like mm-hmm. I did not think about any other STIs at all, or what we would have called STDs at the time. <laughs> I, um, I so I got on the pill, and I took the pill from then until I was thirty six. Mm-hmm. And did you ever have an unintended pregnancy scare? I did. What was that like for you? I ended up having to have an abortion. Oh. How old were you? Uh, 18. What was that like? Um, it was... It was it was rough. I was with... Um, I was with a, a guy... Foreign exchange student. Swedish foreign exchange student. <laughs> it was lovely. And um, we had been together for probably a year when I got pregnant and I was just being lax on my pills. That's not on him at all. It's a hundred percent on me just being a slacker in college. And it was hard. It was really hard, but I knew that that was the only thing that I could do. That was the only choice that I had. There was not a way at 18 that I was going to be able to go through a pregnancy and have a kid. So that was the decision that we both made. I mean, we had a conversation about it, of course, and talked through it and that's what happened. And yeah. I would never want to go through that again. Did he go with you? Yeah. And did you stay together after that? We did for a little while and then um, broke up after that and he got married to another woman. Hmm. So that sounds like it takes us through high school. And, and into college. Yeah. And into college. I happen to know. I am going to ask you to tell one story because I happen to know that there is one story from college that is just the funniest damn thing. (laughs) (laughs) People need to hear it. (laughs) Okay. And I'm pretty sure you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) I know exactly what you're talking about. And this person I'm going to have to name because anybody can find him. Yes. So, um, (laughs) so in college, uh, uh, this is like, I think, I think it was my junior year of college. I met Greg. Um, 
he uh he was going to the University of Oregon at the time and he was in a band and he was also doing stand up and that kind of stuff and I just thought he was fucking amazing and beautiful and I was like bold Mel, which I usually am, and so I will invite boys on dates if I like them. And again, we're talking pre nineteen eighty two. I'm gonna say that's a little advanced right there. Yeah. And I'm a tiny little blonde haired girl. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um i went to greg and i asked him to come over to my apartment for dinner and he accepted my date and he came over for dinner and i had decided that before he came over to dinner i was gonna write a song for him that i was gonna play for him because like i tend to with any of my relationships i will write songs especially after breakups i will write songs but now i'm trying to like write songs you know, happy songs instead of depressing songs. So I decided I'm going to write this song that I'm going to play for Greg after dinner on our very first date. And uh, he comes over, we have dinner, conversation's great, whatever, we're having wine and pasta and blah, blah, blah. Um, and then I pull out my guitar <laughs> to play this song that I wrote for Greg on the very first date. And the last line of this song that I play is, I know I will always love you. You and I will be together somehow. <laughs> I totally do that. And then he like leaves. <laughs> He's just like, wow, I'm so out of here. And so, He's gone, whatever. I, and, and then I never, ever saw him until I saw him on television. He had a talk show um, in the, like, 90s. Um, and the reason he had that talk show was because he was the guy that wrote the book, He's Just Not That Into You. <laughs> <laughs> I read the book. I did not recognize myself in there. So maybe... <laughs> But God, I mean, it was just like, fuck yeah, you're not that into me. I'm crazy psycho woman playing. <laughs> I, what the hell was I thinking? I don't know. I just wanted love. I want love. <laughs> I love that story so much. <laughs> oh, so you mentioned while telling that your story that uh, you are a tiny blonde woman. <laughs> um, so let's talk a little bit about your relationship with your body. And when you were a teen and, and early 20s, how did you feel about your body? And how did that play into your sexual relationships? Oh, wow, that's really so because I'm sure I'm 411. And I am. But my weight fluctuates quite a bit. And so I, I mean, I guess now, um, I'm kind of settled where I am, but um, I, the, I was always the cute one. And so I wasn't like taken seriously a lot. Um, and, but also being that cute little wayfish thing was important to me. Like I, there was value in that. Like, oh, look at cute little Mal doing her cute little thing. Oh, so um, <laughs> that was really nice. But then, you know, I, I got pregnant at 36, had my kid at 37, and my body changed completely. Wow. So before that time, yeah, I had some weight fluctuations, but mostly, you know, I was relatively fit and, you know, reasonably small in my mind. And also my family had a huge thing about, like my extended family had a huge thing about weight gain. If you showed up at a, a family reunion and you had gained a little weight, people would say something about it or ignore you. Oh, wow. And if you lost wow. weight, 
they would say it's a Southern family. So um, if you lost weight, they would just say, oh, you look so great, implying (laughs) you better not gain any more weight, sweetie. So, you know, that that dynamic certainly existed with all the women. And my mom was very thin and small and my grandmother was very thin, tall, but thin. And so, you know, that was sort of the ideal. That's what you're supposed to be. In fact, my cousin, one of my cousins and I, this is horrible, but at one point, I think we were teenagers, maybe we were in college. Um, we, uh, my, um, my grandmother said something about our, something about our weight or something. And I was like, we will have to get cancer in order to be thin enough for you. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, that, so that existed. And then at, uh, 36, I got pregnant, Uh, 37, I had my kid, and all of a sudden I had boobs. Like, I never had boobs before this. Like, maybe an A cup, and I've got a C cup now. And so that, um, and then I have hips that I didn't really have before. And so that transition of, you know, having to go, all right, my body was like this, and I knew how to dress it. How do I dress it now? And then also, how do I even embrace this? And I've got this belly now that I didn't have before. So in my 30s and early 40s, that was a real struggle for me. Like, how do I embrace this new body that I have that there's nothing I can do to change? I'm never going to get back to an A cup unless I have surgery, you know, and which I'm not going to do. And so I just have to learn to like what I'm in mm-hmm. and and also like aging. So now I'm here. I am 55 and aging happens. I am not the cute little 21 year old bubbly girl. I mean, I'm bubbly still, but I'm not, I mean, I'm still me. But what looks like on the outside is a little different. And so, and I'm also really learning to love that. But part of that is I have partners that really embrace me physically. They love on the stuff that I am just like, Ugh. Mm-hmm. and that makes me feel beautiful. Are you aching to explore new vistas of your sexuality? Do you hear me talk about concepts on this show and think, it makes sense, but I need help applying it to my situation? That's where personalized sex and intimacy coaching comes in. When you work with me, I promise to help you feel safe exploring your sexuality. Together, we'll look at your needs and desires without judgment, and help you figure out how to fulfill them. There's no single answer that's right for everyone. So I'm going to help you discover what's right for you. And we'll go at your pace. That's the pace that respects your emotional needs, your boundaries, and your nervous system. Because going too fast can send you into shutdown, while going too slow can be infuriating. The goal is to find what's right for you. I work with clients who are motivated to explore many different areas of sexuality, including things like expressing your sexual desires to current or future partners, exploring if you might be queer, challenging body image insecurity in sexual relationships, dipping your toes into BDSM or consensual non-monogamy, learning to date after a long time out of the dating pool, exploring sexuality for later in life virgins, and so much more. 
I want you to have a deeply fulfilling, intimate life, and together, we can help you get there. For more information and to schedule your free, no-obligation discovery call, visit leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. That's leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. You had your baby inside of a heterosexual monogamous marriage. Is that correct? Yeah, heterosexual monogamous relationship. Yep. Mm -hmm. And what was that relationship like for you sexually? It was really good. um, Initially, we had when we were initially so we met in graduate school. Um, I was 10 years older than I went back to graduate school late. I went back to graduate school in my 30s. And he was in his mid 20s. Um, and we were great friends and we, uh, ran a theater company together and sex was really great with him and also very vanilla. I mean, and I hate to use that term. It's not a really good term to use, but it was, it was just like, we'd have, okay. I think the, the, the most dangerous thing that we would do is he would fuck me from behind. But in any case, in any monogamous relationship that I have been in, I have always cheated on the person that I was with. And I felt like it was, I didn't like the secrecy around it. I didn't like the fact that I was going behind someone that I loves back to get sex from someone else. And I was really just compelled to do it. Like I needed some variety in my life in terms of sexuality, in terms of sex in general. And so I always cheated. And so I certainly Mm -hmm. cheated on, um, my kid's dad. Um, I'm not proud at all of that. I think it's horrible. Um, and yet I did it. And uh, at one point, um, his dad handed me The Ethical Slut, which is a book that's all about um, polyamory and how to open up your relationships and be ethical about it. And so he gave me that book and I was like, wow, that would be awesome, except that I don't want him sleep like this is and then my jealousy comes up. So then it's like, I don't want him, you know, I want to be able to do what I want to do, but I don't want him sleeping with us. So and you know, that just did he know at this point that you were was he giving you the book because he knew you were I cheating? Know. Or did he? I, I, okay. I really don't know. I mean, as I look at it, probably. But that's also not a conversation that we've had. Um, hmm. And we probably should. But um yeah, we're still friends. So we did uh, end up divorcing later after that. My kid was nine at that point. And yeah. And so then I kind of moved on from there and I went, I cannot, I just can't be in a monogamous relationship. I can't start a relationship out in a monogamous way because I know that I am going to end up cheating on the person that I'm with because that is my past behavior the entire time. And I have to stop that. I need to be able to honestly have more than one partner. What is it that you get or what is it that you feel is missing? Maybe is a better question when you're with a single partner. I find that what I do is I start losing parts of myself. So like if I am interested, so for example, I am a musician. I love to play guitar. When I was with Ethan's father, he didn't like that kind of noise in the house. And so I stopped playing guitar to adjust to 
this particular relationship. Um, I'm a skier. I stopped skiing. I maybe went with parents from time to time skiing, but I didn't go do the things that I really wanted to do on my own because I'm in a relationship with this person. At least that's how I understood it. And so I, we, all of the stuff that we were doing, we needed to be doing together. That's interesting because I think that a lot of people would hear that and think, well, that those are just the adjustments that you make for the sake of having a harmonious relationship. How does that lead? And, and I'm, I'm not saying that, that I think that's true. I think it's really important that we have our own individual lives, but I'm trying to hear this from the point of view of somebody who's not familiar with polyamory as a lifestyle, um, who might say, those are just the, you know, the things that I have to do in order to have a happy relationship. How does that give you, you know, the okay to, to just go sleep with somebody else? Oh, it 100% doesn't. I'm not saying that it gives me the okay. And I'm not saying that it's okay what I did. Mm -hmm. um, what I am saying is that I really was compelled. Like, mm -hmm. I, that I, I am a creature that needs variety and I need all of these like um, peace. And, and also as a bisexual woman, how am I really going to be in a monogamous relationship with a man? If I can't also sleep with a woman when they're already, I'm cheating and, and not to say that I'm having again, romantic relationships with women, but I am having close friendship and sexual relationships with women. That's important to me. As part of your bisexuality, it's important that you be expressing both the sexual relationship with vaginas and the sexual relationship with penises. Because not every bisexual will say that. No, I, I, I... That's not necessarily true for every bisexual. Okay, well, that's true for me. Yeah. yeah. And also, I like a wide variety of penises and vaginas. So you get out of your marriage and you decide that you're going to um, pursue non-monogamy or ethical non-monogamy as opposed to cheating non-monogamy. Right. As opposed to being <laughs> yes. a serial cheater. Yeah, let's not do that. Um, yeah, so I just decided every relationship that I was going to have moving forward, I was going to have to just be like, I have been a serial cheater. I can't do that anymore. Um, I need to be non-monogamous. And I didn't, and I, and that was just new. I mean, I had read The Ethical Slut. That was it. Oh, yeah. and Sex at Dawn. I had read those two books. And I'll put those titles um, into the show notes for people. Yeah, those are great resources. So I had read those two and I was like, okay, I need to, I need to just recognize that monogamy does not work for me, or at least it hasn't. And then I need to like jump into this world of non-monogamy and figure out what it looks like. And how was that transition for you? Hard um, and interesting and hard. And so all of, all of the words. Um, I got into a relationship with uh, a guy who had been in a poly relationship. And he was, he was also like, I got to let you know, I'm never going to be monogamous. And I was like, ah, <laughs> you're my perfect person. And so... Uh, so then we started dating. He moved in with me. At the time, my kid was spending, you know, a week on, week off with each parent. And he knew my son and those guys got, a, together, uh, got along really great. And so we had this non-monogamous relationship. Um, but in our case, I mean, it was 
you know, when you first get into a relationship and you're in that like hunkering down new relationship energy thing, and you just want to spend all your time with that person. (laughs) So we did that. Um, But then he was also really, uh, he preferred sex with groups than sex with just one person. Uh Like that was his deal. And so most of what we did was swinging. So we would go to the swing clubs and, you know, it was not about relationships. It was about sex. Mm-hmm. And poly is about relationships. So let me just clarify. Do you feel like the two of you had a relationship and then you were going and having sex with other people or was the, what was going on between you also just about sex? No, we had a relationship. Uh huh. We definitely had a relationship and then, and we had sex, but we didn't have a whole lot of dyadic sex. I mean, we did it mm-hmm. some from time to time, and then it kind of petered off. We did it at the beginning a lot, and then it petered off. Um, because really, his thing is group sex. And so, um, we still had a relationship, but we would go to sex clubs, or we would have couples that we would play with. We had a few individual women that we would play with from time to time. But it was, th- but none of those were really like, relationships in the way that I would think about how relationships need to be. Mm-hmm. It was really just about fucking. So when you say what relationships need to be, what does that mean to you? In my, so my, the people that I'm in relationship now, so my triad, and then these two, I have two other men that I am um, in relationship with as well. We are, it's not just about sex. I don't see them just to go have sex. I don't, we're not constantly having sex. It is about supporting each other, knowing each other's stories, being there for each other when we need to, um, being aware of what's going on with each other's lives, having, you know, spending dinner together and, you know, having this like just going on vacation together and, you know, having that kind of heart connection, head and heart connection that is really different from just sex. So, being able to have a really earnest, deep conversation, having someone know stuff about you that nobody else knows about you. That stuff. I get so many messages from listeners saying, thank you for the show. I've listened to the whole back catalog and it's helped me completely transform my sex life. Are you one of those people? If so, I'd love to have your support so I can keep growing this show and bringing a new vision of sexuality to the world. If you haven't done it yet, please take a moment to rate and review this podcast. I know the podcast industry does not make reviewing a show easy. So go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash goodgirls. And it should lead you through the process of posting a review. I'd love to get 100 reviews by the end of the year, and I could use your help. And if you have the financial resources to support the sex positive work I do, I'd be so grateful for your support at Patreon. Donating the equivalent of a fancy cup of coffee each month might not make a big difference to you, but it makes a huge difference to me. There's no contract or obligation. You can cancel at any time. And 
I donate 10% of all proceeds to ARC Southeast, an organization that supports women in the Southeast United States to access reproductive services that are now either illegal or heavily legislated. It's easy to become a patron at patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex. And speaking of Patreon, there is a treasure trove of additional audio at Patreon that's free for everyone to listen to. You don't even need to have a Patreon account to access it. Just go to patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex to start listening. I appreciate every one of you, whether you're a client, a contributor, a social media follower, or a silent listener. I trust you to know what's right for you. Thank you for being here. Now, let's get back to the show. So you are currently in a triad, plus you are in a a one-on-one relationship with a man and then another one-on-one relationship with another man, correct? Mm -hmm. So in total, you have four four partners in three relationships. Four partners in three relationships. But in the triad, we really call that actually is four relationships, (laughs) right? So there's the relationship between me and Charity. There's the relationship between Charity and Cliff. There's the relationship between Cliff and me. And then there's the relationship between the three of us. Okay. So four separate relationships. And so how does the triad feed you in ways that one-on-one relationships don't? Oh, my God. Um, it, well, I mean, this is, this is like the family that I, I never knew I needed. I mean, this is, this is family to me. It's, we're, we, we have this house together. You know, someone is available to do whatever needs to happen. You know, charity's working late. Okay, I will be the one to make dinner tonight. Um, you know, we 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 sit around the dinner table together, or the, or have coffee in the morning together, and we're just exchanging ideas. And you know, what's your day going to be like? And what are you doing? And um, it it, it it's just home. Hmm. And our kids will come over and we'll have family game nights. And, you know, so there's, this is exactly as a kid, the kind of thing that I imagined that I would have. I always imagined that I would have a house where people were like in and out and you would be, you know, having games and having parties, which we also do. In fact, we're having a big party tomorrow night. Um, but, <laughs> you know, just having events and, um, and also being available to share your, 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 pain. I mean, I have a brother who has a bipolar disorder and he has been in a manic phase for um, a year and a half at this point to the point where he has spent all of his money and is homeless on the street. He's also very threatening to me. And uh, it's been really hard and challenging for me to deal with that. And my family of origin is not able to do it because that's his, that's their kid too. Yeah. So they don't know how to handle the fact that my brother is sending me these crazy messages and threatening me and how to reconcile that with the fact that they have a kid who's got a mental illness. But I can sit at the dinner table with Charity and, and Cliff or on the couch or somewhere with coffee or whatever with Charity and Cliff and they can hear me and they can hold that space for me 
and they can continue to love me and, um, and give me the support that I need to be able to get through something that's pretty fucking hard. Yeah. And my family can't do that, but those mm -hmm. guys can. Not only can they, they want to. And I do the same for them. We all mm -hmm. hold each other in spaces like that where we're going mm -hmm. through stuff like that. So that's what a relationship is to me. So I'm listening to what you're saying. And because I know you, I, you know, I feel comfortable with all the things you're talking about. I'm also trying to hear this from the perspective of someone who's completely new to these sure, ideas yeah. around polyamory and triads and all of that. And so what I'm, what I'm hearing is the way that you describe a relationship, knowing each other really well and and sitting down and supporting each other and having coffee and all of those things and, and loving each other through those hard times, I can imagine someone saying, but why do you need three people? Why can't you do that with just two people? Oh, um, well, because Charity and Cliff are completely different people. Um, so they're giving me different uh, input, different ideas, different kinds of support. And when someone's not available, someone else is. When one of us is overwhelmed and you know can't take care of everything else there's two of us to, there's two there's four hands total to take care of whatever needs to you know happen we frequently will do things like you know someone there will be a situation like that where someone's just like okay i have to take on this extra work i'm going to be working from here to here i cannot deal with xyz thing that's a big deal that we have to deal with and there's two of us to deal with it and we always go Problem solved by Polly. Before we started taping, uh, you told me that you have recently officially entered menopause. Yes. Um, so have you had any, like, how has your experience of sex changed as you've gone through the menopause process? Not at all. I mean, I still have, and I hear that that's not true for everybody, but, and, and like, that there's fear that you're going to lose desire. I have not lost desire and I have not. And, but also I did not go through a lot of the hormonal stuff that I like. I, yeah. I, okay. Occasionally I will have those hot flashes, but all right, just settle down into it and sweat a little bit. Who cares? So for me, <laughs> that has not been a big deal. The emotional roller coaster that I've heard about, I really haven't experienced. So and I do, I know that people do these are hormonal changes, but my sex drive and my desire has not changed and my functioning has not changed. But then I also, you know, don't rely on your own freaking juices, get some lube. I mean, I think that's part of what happens with older. Oh no, I can't. I'm not like lubricating in the same way, despite the fact that I'm feeling in my brain sexually aroused, I'm not lubricating in the way that doesn't. Just because your body is not doing that doesn't mean that you're not aroused. You're aroused. Grab some freaking lube. Figure it out. Go from there. <laughs> it's not that hard. Mel, we have done it. I want to mention the fact that you have an absolutely delightful one-woman show about your sexual history. So can you give people the, the very quick rundown? Yeah. So um, I have a show. It's called Sexology the Musical. Um, and I toured it uh, over the summer from Portland, Oregon to Portland, Maine. 
spreading the gospel of sex positivity. <laughs> um, that was in 2019. That was in 2019. Yes. And so that uh, was, uh, it's, and it's basically the story of my journey from monogamy to solo polyamory, which is how I identify now. Mel, this has been such a delightful conversation. Thank you so much for being here. It's it's really been fun to, I mean, I know a lot of your stories, but it's been fun to even to hear even more of them. So thank you. Thank you so much, Leah. It was really great to chat with you as well. And I'm just so pleased with what you're doing. This is amazing. Thank you. That's it for today. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Or if you're using another podcast app, go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash goodgirls. And remember, there's a treasure trove of audio extras available for free at Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash goodgirlstalkaboutsex. While listening to those extras is free, producing this show is not. If my work is meaningful to you, and you have a few dollars to support it each month, I will gratefully accept your patronage at Patreon. I donate 10% of all Patreon proceeds to ARC Southeast, an organization that supports women in the Southeast United States to access reproductive services that are increasingly difficult to obtain. Find out more and become a community member at patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex. Show notes and transcripts for this episode are at goodgirlstalk.com. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Good Girls Talk for more sex positive content. If you have a question or comment about anything you've heard on the show, call and leave a message at 720-GOOD-SEX. Good Girls Talk About Sex is produced by me, Leah Carey, and edited by Gretchen Kilby. I have additional administrative support from Lara O'Connor and Maria Franco. Transcripts are produced by Jan Asiello. Before we go, I want to remind you that the things you may have heard about your sexuality aren't true. You are worthy. You are desirable. You are not broken. As your sex and intimacy coach, I will guide you in embracing the sexuality that is innately yours, no matter what it looks like. To set up your free discovery call, go to leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. Until next time, here's to your better sex life. <laughs> <laughs>